Hi, I'm Levi from WCF. Before we get into this episode of Faith Foundations, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. I am a co-host on a show called A Little Faith, where we explore faith breakdowns and buildups with different people who have very powerful stories to tell. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think Mr. Rogers meets Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style, and I think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org slash podcasts. Also, did you know that WCF sponsors thousands of meals a month for children in India who are unable to afford any food? Please visit wcfoundation.org for more info and donate if you can. Now, here's the show. Have you ever watched a hummingbird? His wings go a thousand times a minute. He can move up and down, forwards and backwards. He can stay motionless in midair. He seems to defy gravity. He's so different from other birds, like the eagle or the hawk, or like the kingfisher who dives into the water and comes up with a fish. The eagle can float into the air with hardly a flap of the wings, but the hummingbird's wings go so fast they're simply a blur. The beauty of birds, their efficiency for their style of life, all speak of a great designer. Wherever you look in nature, it's the same, whether it's watching a squirrel balancing by his tail, leaping from branch to branch, whether it's admiring the bristly coat of a porcupine or the armor of an armadillo, it all speaks of a great creator. This is the subject of this podcast, God, the first fact. God is the first cause. He's the divine architect of the universe, the genius, the artist who created the beautiful world we see around us. This is the beginning of our understanding of God, that he's our creator, and therefore, as our creator, he deserves our honor and respect. However, this is a talk not about nature, but about the Bible. The Bible claims to be God's book, a revelation from God to people. The Bible says that the prophets of the Bible spoke by God's influence. If this be so, then the Bible should have something important to tell us about God. It does. I'm going to mention six things which the Bible says. First, God is a being, if I may say so, a person. This may seem obvious. However, in our modern world, many people have really excluded God. They imagine him in vague terms, perhaps like a vague force field. They see him as a general first cause without thinking of him as an intelligent being. But God is a person, not to say that he's a human person, but a divine being. The Bible says that man was created in his image. That's Genesis 1 verse 27. It must mean that humans are like God, and therefore, in some respects, that God is like us. Not that God is in any way limited to the image of man, but we are his image. There are many places in the Bible where God is described in terms of mankind. In Psalm 34, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. Other passages referred to God in similar terms, the arm of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, and so forth. Surely we're justified in thinking that God is a real being, a person, on the basis of that language. Jesus was a begotten Son of God, and he's a man. If Jesus was considered a Son of God, then God isn't an idea, or he isn't a force field. 
So we're not dealing with a great impersonal first cause. We're dealing with a real being, a kind of father. Secondly, the Bible teaches that God is one. One of the most important passages of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This teaching meant that we weren't supposed to worship idols, but it means more. It tells us that there's nothing in the universe which isn't under God's control. Even Jesus is under God's authority. When Jesus was on earth, he said, I can of my own do nothing. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Note that Paul calls Jesus a man even after his resurrection. God then is supreme. He deserves our ultimate obedience. He's the source of us all. He has no rival. This then is an important Bible teaching. Thirdly, the power of God is limitless. Who hasn't witnessed a thunderstorm or who hasn't been impressed with the terrible energies of nature? These things are very weak compared to the very source of all things, of all energy, of all matter, of all organization. Even the energy of the sun is nothing to be compared with the power of the Almighty. In the Bible, the power of God is often called His Spirit, or sometimes His Holy Spirit. It's not a blind force. It's a searching and intelligent energy which owes its origin to the very mind of God. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible speaks of the Spirit of God as present in the creation of the world. In Psalm 104, speaking of the lions, birds, and all of the creatures of creation, it says about God, when thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. Therefore, the whole of creation owes its existence and continuance to God's spirit. The Bible is an expression of God's Holy Spirit. Paul said that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. In other words, the Word of God, or the Bible, is an expression of God's mind and power. God's Holy Spirit has caused prophets to write and disciples of Jesus to write things for our enlightenment. If God created man, he created him for a reason. And it seems to make sense that God would reveal to humans why he created them and what he expects of them. God's power then is without limit, and he has used his power to reveal to us the purpose of life. Fourthly, God is immortal and the source of immortality. That implies that man isn't immortal. One day each of us is going to stop, just like a clock stops. We'll be in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a golf game, or in the middle of a nice sleep, and we stop. The great spiritual hope of humanity is that humanity might have immortality. Well, God is the source. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that God is the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. When he speaks of God as he who alone has immortality, he describes God as the source of immortality. I know it's not terribly clever to say that man must go to God to seek immortality, but it's true, and many people don't seem to realize it. Many people say, well, if there's something after life, I'm sure I'll get it. But if they really realized that they were a dying creature like a cat or a goldfish, 
they'd be much more concerned to find out what God's plan is for immortality. You know, it says in the book of Romans that those who seek for immortality will be given it by God. But we have to seek it. Immortality is God's alone. Fifthly, God is good. He's loving and gracious. Good beyond our imagination. If we would only show our faith, we'd know that God is good. The psalmist David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, try the goodness of God. Rely on Him. Ask for His help. We should learn through experience that God is good. A beautiful baby is a gift of God. A beautiful day, the same. Good health and strength, all are gifts from God. Only His genius could create such things. As the godly person learns to trust in God, he or she appreciates this fact more and more each day. The last point I would like to make is that God is close. If God is present everywhere by means of His Spirit, then He can be approached by us. If God is good, it follows that He's interested in us, and He'll be good to us if we ask. This should be a source of comfort to faithful people because there's no place in the world which can't be reached by God's help. I've already quoted Psalm 34 where it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. Well, this means He's not just hearing, He's listening. He's interested in people. David also said elsewhere, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplication. There are many other places in the Bible where it's indicated that God is near to us and available to us. Didn't Jesus say that we should seek and we would find, and we should knock and it will be open to us? If we understand God as He is, then a response is created in us. The response is one of great respect, of great love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Why? Well, God should be loved because he deserves to be loved. It's a funny way to put it, but it's true. If we met an individual with all of the qualities we see in God, wouldn't we be attracted to him? One with faithfulness, love, loyalty, justice, wisdom, creativity. Yes, God deserves, you might say, our love and admiration. The object of man's life is to learn to love God. That's summing up life very simply and very quickly. If we know God truly as He is, we'd love Him. If we love Him, we'll want to please Him, want to obey His instructions, want to copy Him. That is, we'd want to imitate His great qualities. You know, there's nothing that God asks us to be which is different from what He is Himself. If He asked us to be honest, it's because He's honest, or faithful, because He keeps faith. A man has to be a fool, as the Bible says, if he says there isn't a God. But if he believes there's a God, he has to be even more of a fool if he ignores him. In conclusion, let's look around. Next time we look at a hummingbird, or next time we watch the migrations of geese, next time we watch the squirrel balancing in the tree, let's remember the great designer who designed all these beauties. And let's recognize that the natural creation gives only a partial glimpse of the Creator. But nature should teach us to seek God. It should teach us to search for Him in the book that He's given us, the Bible. 
We'll get to know God through that book and through the goodness he'll show to us in our lives. With the understanding that this gives us, loving God should be easy.